Oh, dude, I've never seen so many players on the other team look so tired. Nobody was yeah. moving. Everyone was just standing and watching. I made a joke to my friend that it was just watching like a team of dry sidles. I think we found our clip for the week. <laughs> What's up and welcome back to the Crude Oil Podcast. It is the Mike Pekka episode. How do you think about that? That was the first name I went to and I had this lineup forever. Listen, I'm scrolling through the list. Mike Pekka is the one that stands out to me the most, probably oh. because of the cup run. But it looks like Dennis Grebishkov was our longest tenured number 37 and Dean McCammon really? did the close second. So does that count for Dennis Grebishkov because... That was the nu- did he wear a different number when he came back? Do you remember when he like had that stint, that big break? Uh, I don't know. All I see is 2008 to 2014, and I prefer to try to black that time out of my memory for the most part. I don't really blame you. I don't really blame you. Well, welcome to uh, episode 37. Uh, it felt like a very nonchalant week. I don't know. We've got the trade deadline like in between our last episode, but. Uh, I don't know. It's been kind of like radio silence since, hey? Well, I think the big thing is with the trade deadline, all the trades happened prior to the actual deadline, which we've mostly talked about most of the big trades. We'll get into a few of the other ones. And then, yeah, otherwise it's just been seeing how teams mesh with their new players. Um, and yeah. it appears Edmonton's been meshing pretty well with theirs. Yeah, it's it's funny because you say that nothing's happened, but everything's happened in the same breath. Like the Edmonton Oilers have had four games since we last chatted. Uh, the game against Toronto, the back-to-back against Winnipeg and Buffalo. We're recording this here on Wednesday night. Um, yeah, lots of takeaways. What's the first thing that stands out for you in those games? Obviously with um, a 3-1 record. Well, let's talk about the three wins. And yeah. I think it's hard to not talk about Stuart Skinner and how well he has played. And how reliable he's been. Man, I don't even know how you can not have him as your starting goaltender. Like, no more 1A, 1B. Like, I think it's been proved, uh, proven, like, in these last couple of weeks. Just, he's consistent. And uh, he, I think you alluded to it earlier this year. Like, sometimes you just need a save. And he's the guy that's able to do that for us. Yeah, the thing with uh, the thing with Skinner is he seems to make like solid saves. Maybe gives up a bad one during the game, but then he makes up for it. Generally speaking, meanwhile, <laughs> our other goalie he tends to let in a few softies and then can't seem to just make us like a save that would be considered to be important. Like I think it was the Winnipeg game where Winnipeg mm-hmm. scored seven times. Um, three of which, maybe even four, if I remember correctly, were tips, which like yeah. you, it's hard to yeah. blame the goalie on tip goals most of the time because they're screens or it's a like last second redirection. It's hard to react in time. However, when you've, they've scored that many on you in a single game, you start to question whether or not they're going in because they were nice tips or is it because the goalie's positioning isn't great or he's going down to the butterfly too soon and then it just goes over his shoulder or like anything like that. 
And it makes you question the competency of that goalie, even though those are necessarily goals that he doesn't need to be saving in air quotes because they're hard to save chances. Yeah. Well, do you want to jump right into that conversation right now and we can talk about it because it seems to be kind of the the goaltending aspect of the Edmonton Oilers has been kind of the forefront of all the headlines this week, especially after the trade deadline. Yeah, we could definitely get into it because I think it's better to get this, uh, let's just say, negative news out of the way as soon as possible so we can just move on from it. Yeah. Where do you start? I mean, you've, we, we've talked about Stuart Skinner. We're, we're at a crossroads with Jack Campbell. Well, like, you have to look at, like, just the stats in general, like, his save percentage mm-hmm. is dog shit. His goals against average is dog shit. He's playing in front of the same or behind rather the same def- defense that Skinner's playing behind. And yet he can't seem to get it done. And yeah. it's to the point where I don't know if you could get a hundred sports psychologists to talk to him. Like, can you really fix what's going on between his ears? Because you can tell in his post game meetings that he knows he is the reason why we are losing the games that he is starting. Well, and it's really shitty to hear because he's like it, every single week or whatever it's been lately. It, it seems like his response is always like, "It's always it feels bad to let him down again, let him down again." And it's just you can tell the accountability is there, but it's just what do you do? What like I, I'm kind of at a standstill. I, I I've read all the different theories that people have, but uh, like. What do you do, Sean? What what would you do? Well, I think, number one, he is the clear-cut backup, which I think everybody mm-hmm. wants at this point. We don't really want to mess around with having him start equal to or even more games than Skinner. That's the last thing we want, just with the way that he's playing and especially with the way Skinner's playing. It would be one thing if like their stats were fairly equal even if like Skinner was going through a cold stretch right now or something and you'd consider wanting to start Campbell but like the difference is just mind-boggling how like bad he's been mm-hmm. and it, it just makes me question everything like the goals that he gives up to have just been disastrous like levels of goals Edmonton scored like 25 goals or something like that in the past five starts or something <laughs> And yeah. they've lost every single game. I, I saw that. I saw that stat too, and that's something that stands out because usually you see a goaltender struggling and stuff, and you can kind of piggyback on the rest of the team to be like, "Hey, they're not really doing their part um, to you know provide any goal support." But that is it. It's not even an option for a, a defense here. Um, I I just I don't know. I, I'm with you. Like he he's clearly the backup goaltender here. Um, when you uh, you compare, like, I, I I keep thinking that people look at the salary figure and they're worried about um, his playing time. Like, what it you got a five million dollar player sitting on the bench? I think that's causing too much of a narrative around things. I think we're at the point where the eye test and well, it's stats to back up shit now uh, that Stuart Skinner is your number one goaltender. It, it's it's just become a non-negotiable. I get that they're back to back. So I'm actually okay with the decision to start him um, against Winnipeg. I think there's one more back to back the rest of this year. So I wouldn't be shocked to see Jack Campbell get a start there, but we're at a point now where it's like, 
he's got to be playing maybe 20% of the games because you can't really afford to, you know, loosen up towards the end of the uh, uh, regular season here. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think anybody truly knows what to do with him at this point. And, like, I just looked up his game logs and he gave up 25 goals in his last five starts while Edmonton scored 23 goals in those games. Yeah. So, like, every single one of those, like, were one-goal games, definitely should have been winnable. And it just it just hurts to see that us losing points and leaving points on the board. I think Edmonton yeah. would could be 10 points above everybody else in the conference if we actually had competent goal ending from Campbell. So yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I can completely see that. Um, I was going to piggyback off of, uh, the last thing I was saying, I don't know if you caught this. I mean, trade deadline was fucking so long, especially with the lack of news that went on, but I saw a segment, uh, with Gino Retta, uh, Jamie McLennan. And I want to say Martin Biron, and they're talking about, uh, the Edmonton Oilers, whether or not they have the goaltending pedigree to go anywhere in the playoffs. Um, with that being said, they keep bringing up, uh, Gino Retta kept bringing up the fact that Jack Campbell's making $5 million. And the one thing that I keep like going back to is the response that Martin Biron said, is said, look across the league and see how many $5 million players that you have that play on the third or the fourth line. Like, it's it's not uncommon, especially in a salary cap. Yes, I get it that it's uh, it's a goaltender, so they're not really contributing at all. Um, but it's five million dollars. It is what it is. I mean, at this point, it is what it is. There's nothing we can really do yeah. about it. And like, I personally don't have a problem with paying him that with Skinner making what he's making. And I think we're pretty lucky to have signed him to. A fairly cheap extension, I believe, considering with the way everything is, the trajectory of everything, he's going to be our starting goalie now over the next five years, essentially, because Campbell <laughs> likely won't be able to pull it together. I At this point, I've just but, lost all confidence <laughs> that he will. Like I th- hope that he'll be able to at least bring himself to like a 900 save percentage and be a somewhat league average backup. Mm-hmm. Um, and who knows, maybe he'll find it eventually. And sometimes it takes players time to get comfortable. And I don't know, like with goalies, it truly is voodoo. And they've, that's a very common saying. You look at a guy like Markstrom in Calgary, where he comes to Calgary and plays lights out last year. And now he's one of the worst goalies in the league this year. And yeah, Campbell played lights out the year before with Toronto. And then last year um, in Toronto, he had a not so great year and maybe he's, just trying to adjust to his team. And then next year he'll, he'll win the Vesna or some shit. You, you never truly <laughs> we, know. We can hope. Like, I don't think anybody looked at Boston, for example, and saw Linus Allmark and was like, oh yeah, that's the Vesna winner right there at the beginning of the year. I don't even think he was projected to be the starter. I think it was Jeremy Swayman right. who was supposed to be the starter. Right. So yeah. like, it sucks. We gave him 5 million. And I think it supports the fact that I think a lot of people share this opinion too, is that you shouldn't overpay goalies because goalies are voodoo and i hope it's more of a lesson learned that you should sign goalies to cheaper or at least shorter contracts because you never know mm. what's going to happen well yeah you you never know what's going to happen so which brings up kind of the topic that 
I've seen so many hilarious like ideas. Uh, one of them being that Mike Smith comes out of retirement and <laughs> we uh, we buy out Campbell or send Campbell down to the minors. I, I'd be okay with like a rehab stint, like send him down to Baco for a couple weeks. Um, maybe give Calvin Picard a chance to come up, but um, I don't I don't really know if that's an option. Um, well, but the, Smith coming out of retirement isn't. That just doesn't oh, make sense camp-wise at all. That's the bonkers one, yeah, for sure. But do you do you legitimately look at Jack Campbell as someone that you buy out in the offseason? If well, I guess the it'd be contingent on him playing the way he's been playing. I think there's a couple factors you need to consider. Is one, like you just mentioned, that his perf- his performance stays where it's been at this whole year and he doesn't finish the year hot. Um I would say probably give him one more year unless we really really need that money for some reason um just and ride him into next year and then if he still continues that i would definitely consider buying out that contract because it's a little bit too much and then one thing you have to maybe hope for too is with the potential it could be a flat cap again going into next year um i know that we've talked about it a couple times throughout the year but um, I don't think revenue projections are where the NHL was hoping, so it may not go mm. up as much. And maybe, which I think they should have done after the COVID years and all the flat cap, is that they might give maybe teams a compliance buyout again. Yeah. That would be yeah. really cool, but I don't know if they would do that. And that brings up the question I asked my roommate about that is like, if you're Edmonton, say going into this offseason, they give us a compliance buyout, who do you buy out? Yeah. See, was, I was like Campbell. I, yeah, obviously Campbell. But his argument was, do you even you consider Nurse? I, I don't. Honestly, that might be the one I think of. I don't think, from an optics perspective, you can you can get rid of Jack Campbell right right away. Like, I think it sets such such a bad precedent for like any player. Nobody, no fucking free agent's gonna come to Edmonton again. Like if you well, if you buy out the player that just came here, I think that's I just, a really fair argument to make is doing that. But I think anybody looks at that is like, look at his performance, and it speaks right. volumes for itself. Um, yeah. And then when it comes to say like I personally I don't want to buy out nurse. I just want to make that very clear that even if we had a compliance, I'm not interested yeah. in that. Um, but say you are somebody who wants to buy out nurse because your concern is the optics. Like you just said, it's like who would yeah. want to re-sign a long-term extension with Everton if you're just going to potentially buy them out. Yeah. So like yeah. it kind of brings Honestly, the same dangers with it. Back to your question. I would like Cody CC maybe. That was my next option as number two after Campbell, assuming Campbell struggles still was mm-hmm. I would consider a Cody CC buyout as well. But I don't know. It feels like we can go, uh, like you mentioned, goaltenders are voodoo. You never know what you're going to get. But I feel like we could go on on and on and on on this uh, this goaltender train. But I uh, wanted to get your initial thoughts back on uh, the positive side of things. Um, your initial takeaways with uh, with Matisse Ekholm. Well, I don't think there's much argument to be made that he has already transformed the blue line. In terms yeah. of taking the harder minutes away from Nurse, being a steady presence for Bouchard or even Broberg if they're paired together, because we've still ran seven defensemen, maybe one game that he played. But um, 
I I've loved what he's brought and I can't wait to watch more and more of him. And I pray that he can play this way and give us pretty much the years that we have been missing in a guy like Oscar Clefbaum that we've been praying for all these years. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. It's uh, that Swedish uh, um, kind of replacement. It's dude. I don't know if you, you caught the, uh, the Yamamoto goal on Friday night. I was like absolutely so fucking ecstatic when I saw the uh, the back check that turned into the the Yamo goal, and then they replayed it, and you saw the little push that he gave Nuge to go uh, on the on the back check. Man, that's such a like yeah. it's just such a veteran heads up play for players right? to do stuff like that. And I like I don't know if anybody else on the team would have thought to do something like that. No shit. It's just like things like that. I'm I've loved his play so far. And I get he's not going to be perfect. He's not going to be the guy putting up tons of points, but it uh we don't need it, that. Exactly. Exactly. It's a nice calming presence. I I couldn't be fucking happier with his start. Yeah. And then like to go kind of along with that, um I think it's important to talk about Bouchard's impact too on the power play. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's been serviceable as a replacement for Barry. Like I'd probably give him like a B. Um, he hasn't been mind boggling on the, <laughs> on the point on the D, but he hasn't completely thrown our power play out of whack just because he's there. I know some people were concerned about that, that you're messing with the, um, the quote unquote chemistry that the power play has. But I honestly, yeah. I'm not sure if it matters who's the point man when you have Nuge, Dreisaitl, and McDavid playing together on that power play. Same as it doesn't I, really matter who the net front presence is. Yeah. The thing I like about Bouchard too, like it's not like you necessarily need a, a, a trigger man like you'd mentioned, but it's kind of nice to have a semi defensive, you know, player out there in case what well, you're running four four forwards on a power play. Like, it's nice to have a little bit of a defensive-minded player there. Granted, I mean, Tyson Berry versus Evan Bouchard, like, what are you getting? Um, but I, I'm kind of with you. It's indifferent. I'm pretty sure you could take probably 60% of our defense and, and swap them in every single power play, and it wouldn't be that crucial of a um, of a change. I don't know. Well, they just have to be able to hold the line. That's, That's the most it, important yeah. thing out of any of these defense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was I was curious what the the uh, impact of the power play was going to be, but um, I think they, they proved that wrong very, very quickly. <laughs> um, to play devil's advocate, it doesn't look like Tyson Berry's really like left off at all since he, <laughs> he uh, went to Nashville. He's, I think, two goals in two games. Um, so... And- yeah, two goals in two games, pretty impressive for a defenseman. Yeah, well, I, it's kind of a gut punch as soon as you see that, but nice to see him still succeeding. Um, still haven't Nashville's got the not out of it though, RV Either I'm excited to watch him play. He's, I think, in Carolina finally. So yeah, yeah, he, I, he I might saw be that able to get into a game around. soon. I think I think we've gone far too long to even talk about the rest of the trade deadline because we are missing. Uh, an, an additional piece, the Edmonton Oilers picking up Nick Bugstad for a third and um, Kesselring. Of course, with that being said, uh, Bugstad gets the uh, the 50% retention, so can make cap stuff work. Uh, initial thoughts with, with that trade, Sean? 
I was pretty excited when I saw it just because Bukestad had a really, really good year in Arizona, having scored, what was it, 13 goals already this year, which on an anemic Arizona team is pretty impressive. Um, I don't know if anybody's seen Zach Cassian's stat line since he's been there, but he has, I believe, now two goals, zero assists in like 50 games. Oh, so yeah, it's pretty hard to get any offense going there. But with that being said, I don't necessarily think Bukestad was brought in for his offense. Um, it was more of his right-handed face-offness of his gameplay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, exactly. I don't know if anybody saw the stat. I'm sure people have been talking about it, but he was 100% on the face-off dot last game against Buffalo. Mm-hmm. He was 11 and 0, I believe. Which strong, strong numbers. That's all you really want out of a like a bottom, a bottom six center is to be able to win yep. those important draws. So I would not be surprised to see Bukestad getting some important minutes. Say like Edmonton's either up by one or down by one, and they throw Bukestad out there with a right side face off. Well, like, and PK time too, right? Well, exactly. And whenever you say PK time, you might pull some time away from McDavid and Drysaddle too, and be able to reduce their minutes in that area so they can focus more on five on five play. Yeah, it's crazy to think that you have to pull them off the penalty kill. So that <laughs> it nuts. That's that's where we are, or that's where we're at this year. But um, what are your first thoughts on him? I was really happy about it because it feels like the Oilers, this is another player that the Edmonton Oilers have been like flirting with for the past, what feels like three months. So um, it was nice to get that. The right-handed draws were a big thing for me too. Um, I think he's going to be a really good like depth player on the bottom six. And and when you look at the way that our, our bottom six is shaping out, you have a lot of serviceable players that can, really really bolster your lineup honestly sean i'm starting to wonder where dylan holloway fits back into this lineup if he does well i've been thinking about that quite a bit too because like they showed the today's practice lines um i guess before i mention that we'll mention also that it sounds like evander kane is back tomorrow versus boston which is Mm. exciting so Outside of Holloway, potentially, um, we have our first fully healthy lineup, I think, all year. So we have Kane, McDavid, Hyman on the first line. We have Nuge, Drysaddle, Yamamoto as the second line. We have McLeod, Bukestad, Fogel as the third line, and Costin, Ryan, and Yanmark as the fourth line with Shore out. Yeah. And I'm looking at that right now, and I've been having this debate with people and internally where Holloway would fit into the lineup. And honestly, like, it's pretty much a, a debate between him and, like, Costin and him and Yanmark and him and Fogel. But, like, I think it might be better at this point in the season, unless one of these guys starts really falling off a little bit, you have to maybe consider keeping Holloway down in the AHL to just play top six minutes and not play five minutes a night. Yeah, honestly, the only way I personally, and I might get roasted for this online, the only way I think that you give Holloway a chance to come back is you focus on him top six minutes, obviously, in Baco. But if you lose a top six, God forbid, knock on wood, uh, that we lose a top six player, that's when I think you look at Holloway. I I don't think it's worth bringing him up for bottom six minutes, especially with the kind of personnel that has been built around the bottom six right now. Well, it's important to note, too, that like the lines I just gave, that was our 12-man forward lineup. And that's not even to say 
the 11 man forward lineup when we play exactly. defenseman. So like, <laughs> yeah. even if we play 11 forwards, which guy are you currently taking out of the roster right now to play 11 forwards? Uh, I don't know, man. Cause like normally my go-to, I, I realize it was a, uh, it was a small sample size to, to use as an example, but we saw the fourth line in Buffalo and how dominating they were. How long did they have the puck down there in, in that uh, zone during that? Was it the Ryan goal? Like, oh, dude, I've never seen so many players on the other team look so tired. Nobody was yeah. moving. Everyone was just standing and watching. I made a joke to my friend that it was just watching like a team of dry sidles play <laughs> uh, offense and just stand there and watch everybody skate around them. I think we found our clip for the week. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It, so I don't know. When you look at that, I'm always always nervous to think about pulling someone out. When you see the uh, um, the the chemistry that's going on, but like a guy like Warren Fogle, like I really have to take a step back. I think I put some some uh, stank on his game earlier this year, but there's really nobody trying harder than him since the start of this like fiscal year. Like since January, he's been working his ass off. Well, like in comparison, not only to the beginning of this year, but to last year, like Fogel is night and day. Like I would make the argument that he's worth his contract now, considering everybody was wanting to trade him at the beginning of this year because mm-hmm. he was making 2.5 million or whatever, and just not bringing enough to warrant that paycheck. And I would argue he's definitely worth that now. Um, I would still like to see a little bit more production, but you cannot quit on that effort it's like him and hyman have been hanging out together too much <laughs> yeah and that's a terrible thing to happen hey <laughs> oh yeah i don't want that at all yeah uh, i don't know man that long and sto- uh, long and short of it i don't know who you pull out of that bottom six so well i would argue that with if it comes to holloway he's pretty much just the black ace i think going into the playoffs this year and mm-hmm. they maybe take a look at what the roster will look like next year with Holloway in it. Unless like we mentioned, somebody really starts to struggle. Like maybe um, Yamamoto just goes on a complete like ice cold streak where he can't do anything. So they're like, well, okay, let's do this. Yep. Yep. I, I, I can't disagree with that. Um, taking a look. I know we've got a bunch of topics that uh, we want to get into, so I think the look ahead this week is more of a a test, and I, I wanted to bring it up. What is your realistic expectation for the next three games? The Oilers play Boston, Toronto, and Ottawa. Ottawa's on a fucking heater right now. Like, do you mean my expectation in like, points we get out of these games? Y- yeah, what, what's your, what would you be satisfied with in a finish in this next Four week. out of six, so either like yeah. uh, one zero oh, and two, or um, two one and zero, oh, something like that. If we so get that, four out of six points against these guys, I will be happy with that. Are there any expected wins? No. And yeah. at this point in the year, I don't care who you're playing. You shouldn't have any expectation of winning the game. You go out there, you try your heart out. There's something in me that I would rather go one and two. And these next three games, as long as that win comes against Boston. So are you it's, saying that purely for a confidence for the team? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. Part of it also because they only have eight losses this year, and it'd be nice to be one of them, considering we play, what, twice? But I think I think it, it'd be a big test 
the Oilers have already proven what they can fucking do to Toronto. Like they they walked them last Wednesday. Um, I, I don't know. I think a win against Boston is gonna be just that. That's the 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 goal. I think for me, if I were uh, looking at the Edmonton Oilers in the next week, I I don't know. I know it's kind of short sighted, and you still need points to make up in this uh, in this run, but. That's that's the game I, I I'd want. Well, selfishly, I'd like to be Toronto because I love beating Toronto. <laughs> it was quite funny when they were playing Toronto when they came to Edmonton, and it's just like dueling chance in the crowd between Let's Go Oilers and Go Leafs Go. And yeah, like it's to me that's almost like super fucking annoying. And there's like this is our goddamn home building, and. Like the reason why all the Toronto fans are there is because we can't afford to pay for Toronto game tickets. Cause those ones are like fucking $300 for nosebleeds. <laughs> My brother was, uh, at the game that night in, uh, in the loge. Uh, he got tickets through, I don't know, through work or whatever, but, um, it was amazing. Like having a conversation with him all night, like just getting chirped and just how much more and more defensive he got. Like we've got a side bet now on the first round of, uh, a playoff for the Leafs. So they're confident over there. So I, I I'm kind of with you. It's always nice when you beat Toronto. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just fun to be Toronto. I just like watching everybody's reaction and the, the doomerness that the Leafs have after they lose <laughs> any game really. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I guess we really haven't touched on it's it's weird it feels like there's next to nothing to talk about but we haven't uh touched on some of the the big trades that happened across the league uh at least on the trade deadline day um the big one that stands out to me and i don't know why it was such a shock i think it's just because of the jersey that changed hands but the the roundabout way that sent uh jonathan quick to uh, vegas yeah, that trade was surprising. I don't fully understand. Well, I, I guess I understand why um, the Kings did it because they wanted Gavrikov and they needed a more reliable goalie because Quick has been mediocre at best and uh, so is Cal Peterson. And mm-hmm. you don't really want to ride Phoenix Copley into the playoffs to be your starting goalie. <laughs> I think that's probably a recipe for disaster. So, yeah, yeah I... I disagree with the way they went about trading Jonathan Quick, but like you can't really argue with what they brought back to the team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Jacob Chikrin thing. What what was the first reaction that you had when you saw Jacob Chikrin not only going to Ottawa, but what the fuck he went to Ottawa for? Well, that's what my reaction was, is how little he ended up going for. And especially considering Vancouver had an aneurysm and traded for Philip Hronick. I don't know what the hell they were doing there. And they gave up almost the same amount. I think the only difference was a second round pick. So if you're a Vancouver yeah. fan, you're looking at that. You're like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, that that was wild. It's This this has been a weird like deadline this year. It, it's really felt like there's been a complete like different range of expected return. Um I was with you. I was floored when I saw this, but I, I, I got to ask, do you think with the amount of like news that's been circling Jacob Chikrin and the fact that this didn't go down until um, two days before the deadline, I kind of expected him to go in, in January, February. Um, do you think the GM just played his hand a little too much? 
Well, I think, yeah, I think Arizona kind of fucked themselves over, to be fair. Like, once Ekholm was off the table and then Gavrikov went earlier that day, all of a sudden there was just no defense left and nobody overly interested in defensemen. And I believe, <sighs> if I were to guess, Ottawa was probably the only one barking up their tree still being like, hey, like, we'll take that guy off your hands, but this is the best we're going to do. And it, it's really, yeah. it's almost embarrassing, I guess, for the GM to be sitting here <laughs> where we've been dealing with Chichen rumors for almost three years now. And this yeah. is what ends up, what he ends up going for. It's just, it's kind of disappointing, honestly. It like, really, it, it really is. Like he, he's holding on to this player that he wants yeah, said assets back for him. And the Leafs are like, no, fuck it. We'll grab two pieces that'll fill that role. Edmonton's like, no, we're going to take at home. You get, like you'd mentioned, LA finally just jumping off the bar stool and being like, okay, we're fucking tired of waiting and playing games. And he's like, oh shit, does anybody want him? But I mean, it's a good piece for Ottawa to pick up. Uh, it sounds like he's got some family roots in Ottawa. So um, what a steal for the Senators. Yeah, from an Ottawa perspective, fantastic trade and just Arizona a little puzzling. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I just want to touch on, the rich get richer, Tyler Bertuzzi uh, heading to Boston in exchange for a couple of picks. Um, man, Boston. <laughs> Well, I guess we'll see tomorrow, but the more Boston does this stuff, you're like, how are you going to possibly deal with this? Like, uh, they've been, uh, what is it? Dmitry Orlov's new nickname in Boston is uh, Bobby Orlov. Yes, because he's that. just been a fucking monster for them. Not to mention now they're bringing in Bertuzzi. They brought in Hathaway. Like, they're just way too stacked right now. It's, it's yeah. just it's just unfair when their number one center in Bergeron. Yes, he's old, but he's only getting paid two and a half million dollars or whatever. It's just ridiculous. Well, Boston's gonna have their handfuls in the offseason, regardless if there's a parade there or not. Like they are going to be in cap trouble. Well, they you worry about that next year in the offseason, like that's next year's problem. If you're Boston, you're looking at this and you're like, we're going all <laughs> fucking in. I'm honestly surprised they didn't do more somehow. That's yeah, that's a good point. Um, before I lose this train of thought though, <laughs> we speak about worrying about next year, next year. Did you see that the Vancouver Canucks are already over cap compliance for next year? I don't even know what to say about Vancouver, man. <laughs> like, that team is the most, like, perplexing team I've ever seen in my entire life. I swear their GM has, like, like bipolar disorder or something. He's just like, one day we're selling, the next day we're buying, but then we're selling, and then we're buying. And, tr like, fans get their hopes up. They're like, oh, my God, we're finally rebuilding. We traded Horvat. We got stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to flip that for Philip Hronick. It's like, what do you mean? I don't understand that at all. Like, you already have Quinn Hughes on the number one power play. You bring in Hronick, who's like an offensive defenseman specialist. And, it, yeah. like, it just makes no sense. It's like a team. It's like if we still had Tyson Berry and then we traded for the identical twin of Tyson Berry. You're like, but we already have Tyson Berry. Why do we need Tyson Berry, too? It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, yeah, good luck. That's all I've got to say. Good luck with that one. <laughs> uh, just a couple of notes I have written down. Uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins can have the key to Edmonton after uh, that uh, absolute wheel beating of Justin Hall 
uh, last Wednesday. That was uh, unbelievable. Man, Nuge was looking like a certified brawler in that fight. <laughs> His only experience was fighting Sean fucking Monahan, and yeah. he comes out and brings that out. Like, I don't know who he's been practicing fighting with, but like that was that was a masterclass from a small man fighting somebody. Yeah, it was funny to hear the the chance of Rocky when he came back to the room at the end of the period. That's uh, that that's a team that's that's pumped for him. <laughs> you know, on a more questioning note, on that same play, there were some sure. bigger players on the ice. Were you a little bit disappointed to not see? I think it was Nurse to not see Nurse go flying in there and try to do something versus having Nuge go in and do it. Hmm, that's a that's a really good question. Because on one hand, yes, that should be the guy that goes in. The other hand is that Justin Halls would have had his fucking teeth like sent down his throat if he was fighting Darnell Nurse. I mean, th- I maybe have- he should have thought about that before he hit Yamamoto <laughs> in the head, I guess. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, but uh, I, I really have no response. Or no, no response. I have no issue with the response from uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I thought... Oh, no. I was just like, holy shit. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, no, uh, no issue with that at all. Obviously, you you might be hindsight 2020 if he goes and hurts himself, but still, I I love to see that. You could say that about all those. I'd still one day I would like to see McDavid fight again just for the fun of it. But like, you can't help but be fucking terrified the whole time he's fighting if that were to happen. Yeah, no kidding. I was scared the first time that Kane started fighting again right after his wrist. It's like, holy shit, man. Like, yeah. Sometimes you got to have no chill. That's true. It's true. McDavid's got 54 goals on the season, Sean. Where does he wind up? We've got a total of... Am I doing my math right? 20... Not even 20. We have 18 games left? Games. 17 games left? Yeah. I think he gets to 70 goals. I think that's... You think he gets to 70? He could get 16 goals in 17 games. Hell, he had 10 in 5 games earlier, just a little while ago. That's fair. I definitely have, like, I would say if you're going, like, over-under for him, like, the over-under would probably be set at, like, 65. I definitely, I would smash the over on that super hard, and I would definitely say he gets, like, 70. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. What about you? What do you think? I'm trying to think of that. So obviously last year, the he's going to smash Matthew's record. Like that's that's not going to be a question. Last Well, not a record, but his, his performance last year is 60. Uh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 67 goals for Connor McDavid at the end of this year. You know what? Uh, let's say 97. Why not? Oh, yeah. He's just going to light it up. What is the goal record? For I want to see season? modern day. Yeah. Uh, I want to say. And, and I want to talk. 92 like, with Gretzky. Yeah. Yeah. But um, current players. Oh, like of active players, active players. I think uh, it goes down. It's got to be. It's got to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's OV with 65. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm going to say 67. Yeah. I think he beats OV's standing record for active players right now. And now we've talked about goals, but what about points? Do you think, where do you think he finishes with points? What's he at now? Too much. Too much. 
I don't have I'm way behind in front of me like a dummy. <laughs> it's a great question. He's got 124 points. Okay, so he's already 67th all time, and he hasn't even finished the season yet. Yeah. I fuck it. I'm gonna say 67 goals, 150 points. That's that's fair. I think like similarly to the goals thing, I think 150 is probably the like over under bar. Yeah, I guess it's it's only 26 points, hey? Yeah. In 17 games? That's not I, I want to see him get to 100 at least 156 because that puts him as the most points all time in a single season by a player not named Gretzky or Lemieux. That's so fucking insane, man. He has to be Iserman's uh, 155. Ugh. I saw I saw an, uh, a quote with uh, Brad Marchand was getting interviewed today, and he's like, he was talking about McDavid, and he's like, what this guy's doing is unreal. Like, you forget at the end of the day that we're fans too, and like we're just like in awe seeing what he's putting up this season. It's crazy to think too, like. I have to consistently remind myself how lucky I am to watch this guy play on a nightly basis. Like there's people on the East coast of Canada that are Oilers fans. I know like Nova Scotia and like Newfoundland has a big contingent of Oilers fans, but they stay up like three hours extra every single night to go and watch Connor McDavid just play. Like it's insane to realize what we're seeing right now. Oh, we're completely spoiled by it. Like, it's to the point when he scores like a goal where he burns a guy to the outside, cuts across the net and like scores top shelf. You're like, okay, yeah, it's like McDavid goal. You don't even like necessarily get hyped about it anymore because you're mm-hmm. almost used to it. And then uh, you go into these other teams and they get to see McDavid play. They're like, holy shit, you get to watch this guy every night. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's yeah. Um, I'm going to bring up one last topic here on the on the spirit of Connor McDavid, and this kind of got brought up with a buddy of mine in the past week, uh, of course, being a Leafs fan. And the comment that I got was that Leon Dreisaitl is only as good as the players that he's pushed by. So the, the basis was basically like, Leon is a good player, but his potential was elevated by playing with Connor McDavid and the thought is that you could take any top 10 draft pick in the uh, NHL entry draft stick him in with like on a team with McDavid side by side and they'd eventually get to be a better player than they are trending to be so that question I'm going to extend to all of the the Edmonton Oilers picks I'm going to extend it to Everle I'm going to extend it to Yakupov are based off of that that argument are we underselling how good Leon Draisaitl actually is or is it a product of playing on a team with the best player in the world I think well first of all to say like you can smack any player on that line really even if they're top 10 pick that doesn't matter you saw it with Puljujarvi you saw it with Yakupov like it doesn't matter just because they're a good player you throw them on that line that they're going to be able to produce like that's not how it works with that being said, like you can't argue that McDavid increases Drysaddle's production, but it goes both ways. Like Drysaddle increases McDavid's production; he makes great passes, mm. he draws players to him instead of McDavid, it gives McDavid more room to to work and do his magic. 
Um, and like good players make good players good. You can't argue with that. Right. You can't just right. throw Devin Shore with McDavid and think that Devin Shore is going to now put up a hundred points in a year. Like you have to be good to play with good at the end of the day. There's a reason why it was impossible to find any wingers to play with like Sidney Crosby because you, their brains can't comprehend the game at the same rate that his did. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like, yeah, I think dry like, let's just say you're looking at this team without McDavid. I think very obviously they would not be where they're at right now, but they would not be like a basement dweller. Like some people like to think that without McDavid, I think dry would probably put up more points without McDavid just because he is now the go-to guy. And I think the pressure of being the go-to guy would be enough to push him to be a better player than he even is right now. If anything, playing with McDavid makes him complacent. I was going to say, I think uh, that was the point I was going to make, you fucker. Uh, (laughs) I think Leon Dreisaitl puts up more points individually without Connor McDavid on the team. Um, And maybe I should add a caveat to that with uh, like five on five points for sure. But like he'd be responsible for carrying a bigger load. Uh, I just think that you feed off of your competition and competition can be internal, like within the room. And if I, if you're not playing with better players, you're not going to push yourself to get better, or be better than they are, or work harder than they're working. Like, I think it, it does have some say into the way that Connor McDavid trains and works and the, just the natural skill that he has. But I still don't think you can deny um, some of the natural talent, like the Leon dry of the world. Um, like the Zach Hyman, like, Look at Nuge this year. Like, look at what he's doing. Well, it's amazing what a little bit of confidence will do for you. But if you look at Drysaddle, you can't deny, like you said, the talent. You can just look at his two goals he scored over the past week. There was that, like, disgusting wrist shot from pretty much, like, dead parallel that he just snuck above the goalie's shoulder. Like, unbelievable. Especially the brain to put the fucking net back on the moorings. No shit, eh? That was insane. And then he goes the next game and scores that fucking filthy backhander where he just skates it in and roofs it on him with the backhand. Like, I don't know. You can't deny the talent. Like, the only thing you can really deny with Drysaddle is that at least his body language looks like he's not trying sometimes. But to be fair, that same body language shows how much he does care when he fucks up a play and you can tell he's just pissed off or dejected right afterwards. Like he cares and he's competitive as fuck. And I think that's the reason why he started scoring more goals. This second half of the year is because he's like, I'm not letting McDavid outscore me by like 20 fucking goals. What do you mean? (laughs) No shit. I I still think, yeah, there's something in his head that like clicks in. And I think it was what, two, three years ago. And when McDavid was out the, the year that he won the heart where like McDavid's away from the team and he just fucking like put the whole goddamn city on his back. Um, I think he has another level when he knows that he's the guy. So you got, you kind of, I don't think you can make that blanket statement that you can just throw anyone with McDavid. That being said, uh, I, we've got the, these three games coming up a lot of tests for the Edmonton Oilers, but uh, a really good conversation for next week, man. Mm-hmm.